Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Yeah. I'm not gonna lie, Tyler has gonna yagi. Just passing the time that way when I'm running. Got it. Um, all right, well, we're, we're recording, so we can kind of roll into it. James, we, we do the, uh, we're the masters of the, the cold open and lack of, of prep, but you were, you were just saying that we're the, uh, the podcast of choice when things aren't going your way. And when you're in a pit of despair, is that true? (laughs) Exactly. Although that, that makes it sound a lot more difficult than the just three or four mile jog I'm going on that, you know, that everyone else would probably laugh at because I'm not exactly, you know, tearing up the streets when I'm, uh, when I'm running at at, at my slow pace, but I do, uh, I do get out and run and I love listening to you guys when I, when I'm out running. Cool. Well, um, I think uh, I think the best way to introduce you is that uh, you're a former sexiest man alive. <laughs> oh man, I thought I'd left that way, way in the dust. And, and all the people that knew me back when used to uh, used to bring that out too often. And now I, I thought it was gone forever, but I guess not. When that <laughs> and when people you... say we don't do our research, yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Pulling out People There's... magazines from twenty years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Wait, so were you, uh, were you, uh, like, uh, you were named as like in the running or did you get the, did you it get was, the award? So I think it was back, uh, back then. I have no idea if it's still like that, but I think what they did is they do like a, a category every year. So it was like, you know, sexiest, um, I don't know, scientist, sexiest pickleball player, but they did an athlete. And so I got the athlete and then all of them together, they choose one for like the cover. Got um, it for the sexiest. Uh, so I did not win the sexiest uh, man of the year or whatever it was. Whatever I, I think they've they've faultly um, they've mistakenly said that plenty of times in introductions for me, but mostly just to make fun of me. So, so I, I don't think I got that. When you were well, the natural were, question uh, is, yeah, James, you mentioned it yourself. Who does win sexiest pickleball player? Oh, geez, I I don't know. That's a good question. Um, I mean, I think so. Uh, my first instinct is was my first ever pick in MLP uh, draft was uh, Jay Devilliers. I mean, I think he might he might be uh, he might be on that list. He might be up up top there. What do you think? Yeah, no. It's an, Where's it's the an Milwaukee arena. Masters pride? I mean, you've got both <laughs> Matt Wright jump? and Andre Deescu on your team. Maverick and you're not and going with either of those guys? Well, well, I think, you know, the the strength may have been, you know, then so our first pick this year, Callie Joe, Callie Joe Smith maybe. Uh when you when you're a you're you're a younger man at the time that this happened and and by the way, we did we were completely sandbagging you. You thought we were going to talk about tennis versus pickleball. We we just want to talk about uh People Magazine awards when you're <laughs> when you're <laughs> When you're a younger a younger man in your in your mm. prime, and uh, you know you get named to that list, is that something that you're uh, like broadcasting out there, like, hey, like check me out, or are you are you hoping that nobody ever brings it up to you? Um, definitely not broadcasting. Um, definitely, I'm I'm very happy I was, you know, coming of age in a time when there wasn't social media, because I feel like that would have been pretty crazy and pretty tough to avoid. Um, cause at first when I did it, I thought it was pretty cool. And then definitely, um, heard lots of, lots of jokes in the locker room. And a lot of people brought that up in not the, uh, not the way you're hoping for, but I mean, it's not, I'm not embarrassed about it. It wasn't a bad thing. It was, it was still funny. And I, the, the really funny thing was that Andy Roddick made fun of me a lot about it. And then I'm pretty sure he, uh, was on it as well, like a couple of years later as the sexiest athlete or something. So I got to get him back plenty. So yeah, um, yeah. that that made it a lot better in the locker room that someone else got it. I like it. Cool. Um, all right. So Zane, you're you're uh, you're going to quarterback this one. I'm, I'm putting the responsibility right. in your hands. Can you give a little bit of the backdrop of why we have James on? Kind of what was going down on on Twitter, and maybe sort of just lay the groundwork for. Uh, the conversation we're going to have here. Yeah, definitely. Well, in my thorough preparation, 
I went back and looked at James's most recent tweets, and I have thought that he was playing Major League Pickleball. All his tweets are about are about pickleball these days, James. <laughs> and love it. people were calling you out. They're like, James Blake yeah. was the face of American tennis for for a decent mm-hmm. chunk of time. One of the one of the best recent American tennis players, and now looks like he's a sellout for pickleball. And what gives? <laughs> And so yeah. James said, hey, we'll come on the Pickle Pod. Twitter's probably not the right place to uh, to have a at-length discussion about this. Um, yeah. And so here we are. Yes. James Blake is going to end the tennis versus pickleball debate. <laughs> I don't know if it'll ever actually end, but I just uh, people wanted to come at me for like my opinions. I, and I made an opinion known that was whatever 100 and uh, i don't even know how many 240 characters that you can do on twitter so and people are saying like oh you don't get it you don't get it i'm like look i would love to explain this to everybody but i'm not going to do it 140 characters or 240 characters at a time so i mean they've got some valid points there's some valid points there's some that i don't understand that i don't think are valid Uh, i mean um one was that tennis tennis channel is airing pickleball um which has nothing to do with me that's up to the tennis channel programming so you don't have a problem with pickleball the sport you have a problem with the programming on tennis channel which is a valid point because obviously you pay for cable you pay for the channels you want you want tennis channel you expect tennis to be on there i get that argument but my thought is how spoiled kind of have we become because when i was a kid watching tennis i got to i would have to be invited over a friend's house that had premium cable that had hbo to watch wimbledon i would get to watch the us open on usa French Open, I think you watched maybe the weekends on NBC and Australian Open was never on at any reasonable time. And then that was about it. Maybe you get the finals and semis of Miami. And that's all the tennis you're able to watch throughout the year unless you're going to the events. So, I mean, now we're getting it 24 hours a day. We're getting qualifying of the U.S. Open. We're getting so many. We're getting, you know, first ball, the last ball, the ball, the grand slams. And a couple of hours we're going to put on pickleball because people want to see that and people are interested in it right now. You know, that's the tennis channel. Uh, they make those decisions. That's for their producers. That's not for me to say that I like pickleball isn't affecting the programming on tennis channel. So that one, I think, is just kind of silly and has nothing to do with the actual sport of pickleball. And then the others are saying like, oh, it's, you know, it's competition for tennis. That one is the one that for me is the the biggest. Um, I don't know. It's just like a, it's 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 a misguided uh, aggression at tennis because it's like backwards because, or, at, at pickleball, because I think tennis and pickleball can work can coexist and people are saying well oh it's not uh, you know golf courses aren't taking the the real estate basketball courts aren't taking the real estate they're not taking the time well i mean if you're talking about like everything is a competition if you're talking about being a true tennis player all the time and that's all you care about then you know everything's competition my daughter played soccer this morning for an hour and a half and then played tennis for an hour and a half so like if she wants to play more soccer that's taking away from tennis or she wants to play more tennis that's taking away from soccer everything is a competition my dad played tennis for most of his life and then found golf later in life. And that took away from his tennis because he wanted to play golf all the time. So to say that golf isn't a direct competitor is, is kind of silly. And to say, oh, golf courses aren't taking up the real estate. How many hundreds of acres is every golf course? How many hundreds of tennis courts could you put on those, those uh, facilities? It's just that they seem to be making it a competition because some tennis courts are going to pickleball. And it's mm-hmm. concrete. It's already down. So then it's just shifting to, to pickleball. But I know there's tons of anecdotal evidence there. So I'm not saying there aren't anecdotes about tennis courts that went to pickleball courts. And the ones that I see anecdotally are court, tennis courts that aren't being used very often. So if they're not being used and they're converted to something else, that's going to be converted to something else anyway. And that might be, that, I mean, what's the difference if it's converted to condominiums, at least if it's converted to pickleball courts, people are still being active. So I think that's, you know, I think that's, uh, you know, it, it's great to keep people active and stay involved and, I love pickleball, like with my kids, my kids, I can take them up to the club where they've, they've put pickleball courts in. They took one of the tennis courts away because I've been a member of the club for eight years and not once have I seen all six tennis courts being used um, at, at the same time. So they took one of those and they made it and I've still never seen all five being used and they got pickleball courts. I'll take my kids up there. We'll play 20 minutes of pickleball, 20 minutes of tennis, jump in the pool for an hour. And it's just a great way to break things up. And they, they're not going to sit there and play tennis for two hours, nor are they going to sit there and play pickleball for two hours. But we reach their attention span, you know, threshold, and then we move on to something else. And it's great. They, they're staying active. So I've just never understood why it has to be so directly uh, competing when they can work well together. I've had days where I play pickleball in the morning and tennis in the afternoon and love both of them. What's, I don't see where, where the problem is. Right. 
Would you agree with the argument, though, that let's just say there's somebody who plays neither pickleball nor tennis, Mm -hmm. and they're looking for a new activity. Mm -hmm. Now, because pickleball is out here and and more accessible, they'd be more, let's just say, in a world where they can only choose one, they might be more likely to gravitate toward pickleball as opposed to tennis. So maybe down the road, tennis's growth is stunted because people are playing pickleball as the the alternative or the natural selection when they would have been tennis players yeah and i, I love this because i mean I, when one of the comments i know so people think i probably don't read some of those comments but i read read most of those comments on twitter they're saying that it wouldn't be a fair podcast to go on because you guys will be all pickleball but i love <laughs> the fact that you're playing devil's advocate and you're actually get, asking those kind of questions and it's a fair question um but the way i see it is if someone gets into pickleball and it completely precludes them from getting into tennis my guess is they weren't going to get into tennis anyway. I don't feel that, and this could, this is where I'm open to people to making myself vulnerable. People can say that I'm wrong. People can say that it's just my opinion because there's not enough data on any of it yet. But I feel like if you want to get into tennis, there's still plenty of courts. There's still plenty of court time. There's still plenty of availability if you want to get into tennis. But if you get into pickleball, you love pickleball and you don't, you don't ever get into tennis because you just picked up pickleball and you love it right away. And tennis has, you know, gives you no interest or whatever. You have not, no reason to play it. Well, there's a chance that you probably wouldn't have gotten into tennis anyway. Because it's, it, it's rarely, I feel like, is it a, well, I'm going to pick up something. And so I have to pick up something. Why am I, and I'm going to pick up something with a paddle or a racket. So I'm going to just choose pickleball. And there's no, there's, it's completely black and white. I'm not going to play the other one no matter what. Because I feel like if you play pickleball and you try it, some people played tennis, had a tennis background. So maybe they'll take you out and play tennis too. And you'll try that and you maybe you like it, maybe you don't like it. And if you don't like it, well, you weren't going to like it anyway. So you're not losing um, that talented player or you're not losing that person that's going to be a lifelong player. And I also still don't ever feel like it's, it's this boogeyman that's out there that you're going to lose the, the kid that really wants to play tennis. And they're so worried that oh, pickleball is going to take over and take all this. Like the U.S. Open isn't going anywhere. Wimbledon isn't going anywhere. None of the, there's such a rich history in tennis. It's global. It's worldwide. It's the prize money has gone up. When I started playing U.S. Open, I think in 1999 or 2000, the prize money was $10,000 to lose first round. Now it's nearly $100,000. If we don't, if prize money doesn't go up for the next 20 years, we've still had a great growth period of, of tennis over the last 20 to 40 years. So, I mean, it's not going, it's not going backwards. We're not, in a, we're not even in a stagnant period. We're, we're, we're growing. Tennis is doing unbelievably well. And I've I've yeah. tried my best to help grow the sport. And that's where I feel like it's, it's funny that people are criticizing me. Like I'm a tournament director. I'm a commentator. I've, I've, uh, and people are also, you know, they're, they're critical of me because I invested. I'm, I'm an investor, you know, full disclosure, I'm an investor in major league pickleball. So I do want pickleball to do well because of, uh, you know, uh, of that, but I'm also an investor in an AI um, app for tennis called swing vision. I mean, I was an investor in the Milwaukee bucks and basketball. I, I'm an investor in a lot of different things. Um, and I just, I, you know, I hope they all do well, but I'm, I'm, I've been promoting tennis since I was 19 years old and, and, you know, broke onto the scene in a tennis store. So um, I'm happy that tennis is doing well and growing. And I'm, I don't think it's, it's one or the other has to grow. I think they can both grow and, and be great. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, it seems most like you get those occasional outliers of of people who are in their 20s, 30s, 40s that decide that they're going to pick up tennis. But for the most part, it's something that we pick up when we're younger and we sort of develop a, a lifelong love for, right? So that person that's going to pick up the sport in their in their 40s happens, right? But it's so much easier to to come into to pickleball than it is to to tennis, right? I mean, yeah. I played tennis at a yeah. uh, extremely high level. Um, just kidding, <laughs> obviously, <laughs> extremely high division three, mediocre division three level. But um, <laughs> I can't imagine having to having to try to to develop those those strokes over years and years at, at this part point in my life, and. Yeah. You don't need it in, in pickle. Yeah. And I feel like tennis. So, so my wife got into tennis um, during the pandemic and I think it was great. And like you said, it is difficult to get into and you just see the differences in the fact that, so she got into tennis and she had a group of, of women that, that get together and they're similar level, similar levels of athleticism and they've grown together and they've all gotten a little better, a little better and throughout this time. And so it's a great social thing, which is why I love tennis and it's awesome. 
And if they did that in tennis or they did that in pickleball, either way, they're doing something that's being active. But you're right. It is easier to do that in pickleball um, because you can compete with people at very different levels. Because if they had started that group and one player in that group had grown up playing tennis and was already a four, five, five, oh level, um, it wouldn't have been a lot of fun for that person. And it wouldn't have been a lot of fun for the beginners who are starting it and working their way up. Um, whereas in pickleball, if you've got someone that's just learning, they can probably get in and play with a five Oh player. Um, and it might not be, you know, the, the best, it might not be the greatest matchup or, but there can still be fun and there can still be a way to make it work and it can still be social. So I think, um, the social aspects as you get older are, are much easier for, for pickleball. Um, I still think it's great for tennis. Like I said, my wife, it's, it's her favorite, you know, favorite day of the week when she gets to go and, and do those clinics um, in the morning with her, with her group of friends. Um, so socially t- uh, tennis is great too. It's just, there's no reason that um, one takes away from the other, in my opinion. Do you think that, do you think that tennis in the U S has reached a has reached a plateau at all or is it still growing positively i'm hoping it's growing positively i think um it's it it hit a bit of a a point where it was it it wasn't moving it was it was staying where it was which is which is great because there are a lot of tennis players but uh, i mean you could probably fault me for that to some degree because um i think having great champions makes a big difference uh seeing someone out there that's winning grand slams and, and taking titles i think it really makes a difference i don't think that's um a shock that women's tennis in the states is so strong um in the generation after serena and venus when you've got sloan stevens madison keys taylor townsend um uh, so many others that are doing really well uh, or that have done done really well and are now like kind of in the middle of their career um, because they saw Serena and Venus and they wanted to be like them. And we had Andy Roddick and myself and Marty Fish and we weren't winning a lot of Grand Slams. Andy got one and he made a few other finals um, and myself and Marty got into the top 10. We were, you know, we were both in the top 10 for a little while, um, but we were running into Roger and Rafa and Novak and Andy Murray. And, you know, they were there's the, the sport in those countries was going crazy. But I think if you don't have those champions, which hopefully we get soon, Francis Tiafoe just cracked the top 10 Taylor Fritz is in the top 10. If we have them at the top of the game, I think that makes a big difference. But I also think the distractions and the fact that we're talking about, Hey, maybe pickleball is taking away from it. The biggest thing that's taken away from it, I think, is video games. You know, kids are kids don't want to go outside. They want to sit on their iPad. They want to sit and play Call of Duty or whatever else they're playing and and not go out and be as active. So that's a bigger, I think, distraction or bigger detriment to the sport of tennis and eventually will be to the sport of pickleball is that kids are doing a lot of other stuff. And in America, I do think we also have tons of other options. And so that's why I think it's silly to say to pick one specifically out and say, well, pickleball is the reason tennis won't grow. But you know, kids are into lacrosse way more now. That's become much, much more popular. There's obviously tons of kids still playing soccer. There's flag football leagues have popped up everywhere, or at least, I don't know, I'm going to speak for myself, like in San Diego, flag football is huge. So now that's two days a week. That's, you know, one day of games, one day of practices. That's something like, there's just so many other outlets uh, for kids, I think, in America. And I honestly, personally, I think that's great. I I think kids should be well-rounded. They should have all all the different options when they, when they're kids. And maybe 14, 15, 16 years old is when they really start specializing and finding what they love and their passion and then, you know, go all out for that. But um, I think there's just lots of distractions. And so to, to sort of, you know, pick one out and say, that's the, that's the danger. That's the problem. It's kind of a, I think it's, it's just cherry picking for no reason. Well, I understand it to an extent because it's the easiest, the easiest connection to to draw, right? Like nobody's yeah. nobody's surfacing over a tennis court to create a flag football field, right? It's right. it's the most it's the most easy connection to make in a time where tennis is somewhat stagnant, right? Yeah. Regardless of where a person's attention is being drawn to, it's easiest to make that connection if they were a tennis player, now a pickleball player. Boom, there's the yeah. there's the uh, the connection that you can make. Yeah, and that's I, I so, agree. It's it's the lowest hanging fruit. Um. All right. So let's. Uh, I so I think we all we here. all understand the argument. Oh, go ahead. 
Yeah, be quiet, Zane, you. and your connections. <laughs> your, your connections. <laughs> um, no, so uh, your boy Roddick, you brought yeah. him up. Yeah. He is, he is a proponent of pickleball in some ways, an opponent yeah. of, of pickleball in others. I don't know yeah. if you saw that he tweeted. He was like, pickleball, blast to play, but way easier, and it'll never be a spectator sport. Those yeah. are kind of his three – his three points. What what do you think about that? Especially like the third, which is that pickleball just it doesn't have the potential to be a, a spectator sport. Okay, so first things first, I love Andy Roddick. He's my uh, he'll forever be one of my favorite people. Um, we've agreed on a lot of things and we've disagreed on a lot of things throughout our, our time, and and because our relationship is so strong, we're we're okay with that, and we've we've been fine. Okay, with okay, now trash him. Now that you're nice. <laughs> Oh man. So no, so I agree with him that it's, uh, you know, he says he loves it. He, he got to play, he got to play because he did that pickle slam, pickleball slam thing. Yeah. And so that's when he got into it and he realized actually that it's fun. I mean, he, he's been trashing it for a while. So then when he came to me and was like, it's actually kind of fun. I was like, I love it. Like, this is what people realize. Like once they start getting into it, you realize that it's a great time. And he's like, and I even get a workout. Um, Cause he's like, he's a, I mean, I will trash him in this. The guy is a disgusting sweater. He sweats like, I mean, getting out of bed, he's sweaty. So he, uh, I mean, he gets a full workout and drenched in sweat just to play, you know, playing half an hour pickleball. Um, so he loves that about it. He just never thinks it's going to be a spectator sport. And the funny thing is he's uh, the, one of the reasons I love Andy is that he has opinions. He's very thorough in his research. Um, if you watch him do commentary and stuff, he's one of the best out there because he really is prepared. Um, but he's also willing to admit when he made a mistake, when he was wrong, when he makes a prediction and he's wrong, he's the first to admit I was wrong. I was, you know, I made a mistake on that one. I thought this, and it was, it was the, it was that. And so he's said for many years now, um, three years ish, probably like it'll never be a spectator sport. I'm never going to watch that. It's boring. And you guys know with how much better the technology is getting with seeing the speed uh, and seeing it through, uh, through the lenses, through, um, through the new, new views, new, um, new vantage points on the court. It's getting more and more exciting. It's getting um, cooler to see. I know you guys were at MLP for me, bringing my family to that, seeing it up close. I've told people it's like, to me, it's kind of like going to a hockey game where you're just amazed at the speed and the strength and the, you know, everything that's going on, seeing it eye level um is so cool so i just think it does have the ability to grow and um so andy and i just disagree on that i think there's a chance for it to be a spectator sport but i also i don't think it's entirely competitive with tennis it's different skill sets i mean there's obviously some similarities and some crossovers but there's a lot of it that's different um so i just think it's um it, it can be a great spectator sport and people can like one of them people can like both of them um, so I don't think there's a reason to, to compare that, but I, I do think it can be a spectator sport because it's just so new and so young and so many more people are playing it every year, every month that eventually I think those people that are playing it are going to start saying, well, who's the best in the world? How can yeah. I watch them? How can I learn from them? Mm -hmm. And then they'll start watching more, I think. So it'll, uh, it'll be interesting. And that's just one of the things that me and Andy disagree on. Like I said, we've disagreed plenty throughout the years and we can uh, jokingly go back and forth at each other and who's right, who's wrong. And, um, you know, we'll both say that we're the one that's right more often than the other one, but you know, I'm the only one that's, uh, that's got the microphone right now. So I'm right more than him, I'll say. And then whenever he's on, he'll say that he's right. Do you know if Andy's ever actually seen it played in person at a high level? Because I feel like that's very, very important to to take this seriously. I know he participated that's, in that in that thing over at Steve Kuhn's house like four years ago. Yeah, yeah. But I'm curious but if he's ever like actually said, watched exactly pro the, level pick. Yeah, that wasn't the highest level at Steve Kuhn's house. I think you know that. So uh, he he hasn't. Um, I don't think, as far as I know, he's seen it aside from seeing a little bit you know, highlights on TV and stuff. And I think um, he'll be the first to admit that he is, he can be a little stubborn sometimes. So for me to get him out there, he will probably not take me up on that. If I say, Hey, come to the next MLP and watch um, there's a good chance. He'll, he'll have other plans that day. We'll say, but um, I would like him <laughs> to see it. And I think, you know, he, he maybe it would change his mind, but maybe he would just kind of dig his heels in and say, no, I'm not, uh, I'm not going to ever see that. I'm never going to watch it, but. I do think seeing it in person makes a big difference and you can appreciate it. I think I've that's the that. same for tennis too. I've I, heard it I across the board, well. right? Yeah. Both sports. It in person, especially you MLP, see it in especially person. MLP. 
Yeah. You see it in person, uh, I mean, and it's just a different amazed. level. Yeah, people are amazed when they see I'll tennis, and they watch it on TV, and it looks it looks easy. Um, and then they see it in person, and you see how hard guys are serving and how quick you have to make decisions and how fast you're pushing off in those first steps and, and the, the strength and um, flexibility and the, you know, just the speed. It, it's, it doesn't translate as well to TV. I really, I really never thought tennis translated as well to TV. It's gotten better as, like I said, as technology has gotten better, but when people see it up close in person, in person, and I think that's where you get the players and they become fans because they realize how difficult it is. My wife, I think she watched me play for years when we were, when we were dating and I was still on tour and then she took up tennis and she, I think she respects, she might respect me more now. Well, probably barely still barely respects me, but respects me no, more now that she's played because she sees how difficult it is. It's like, how, how did you make that look so easy? I was like, well, from doing it for about 20,000 hours uh, of my life, that's how I made it look easy. Um, and struggling to, you know, those first 10,000 of them, you know, to get it and make it better and better and better. And then it looked easy, but it's very difficult. And that's the same with pickleball. I watch, I watch pickleball, and I'm amazed at how how good you guys are. And say, and some of them make it look easy. You know, watching watching DJ Young have like that backhand flick. Watching yours, Zane. Watching you guys, your hands battles, and making it look like, oh, this is just what we do all day. It's it's impressive. And until you've been in those hands battles, until you've tried to roll a backhand from underneath the net, you don't realize how hard that is. And now I have a greater appreciation for what those players do. Gotcha. Yeah. Which, uh, so it, it is interesting. Like I always enjoyed watching the court level view of tennis so much more and they would show that maybe once a set, right. For, for yeah. a point. And that's the view that you can actually see the, the exertion of the players, how fast they're moving, how fast the ball is coming at you. I think the higher angle stuff from behind makes it look slower than it actually is happening in person. I would love yeah. some sort of camera angle. And I think that the tennis channel has been doing it better where it's slightly above the court and off to the side. So you can get the, a little bit of both. You're not, you're seeing the courts from a somewhat behind angle, but you're also able to pick up how quickly those hands exchanges are, are going. I'd love to see that happen more often. Yeah. And I think, so I think you're, you're right. Tennis channel is probably doing that a little and they're experimenting. And that's the thing that I, I love right now about pickleball is it's so, it's so much in its infancy that you can play around and tinker. I think in tennis, it's been around for so long. There's so much tradition. They don't want to go sort of too far away from what's worked. You know, the, the, the shot that's worked from behind the court um, that people are very used to, um, if you go away from that too much, I think you're going to start seeing a lot of, a lot of um, pushback of people saying, no, this is what I'm used to. This is what I like. This is the way I've been watching tennis for 20 years and I want to stick with it. And a play, someone like you who did play at, as mentioned, a very extremely high level of tennis, you can appreciate that from the, the court level and seeing that speed. Um, and some people, some people will appreciate that as well, but some will be like, no, this is going to throw me off. This isn't the way I'm used to seeing it. It's not as it's not the normal way. So in uh, pickleball right now, I think you can mess with that a lot. You can mix in different uh, different views, different angles, different cameras. And I think they're really trying that a lot at MLP. And I think that's great because there isn't that tradition yet. Um, they don't have it, which is why I also think like some of the rules um, can be tinkered with right now and they can continue getting better without having to say, well, we're, we're going to take away this hundred year tradition and we're going to mess with this just because we want a better TV product or whatever. And, you know, things like rally scoring, like, okay, a lot of people don't like it. Some people do like it, but if we're going to try it, now is the time to try it instead of 30 years from now, when we realize all this data says, oh, we should try it now, but we've got 30 years of national titles that were done in the other way. So we can't change it now because this is what everyone's gotten used to. Might as well try things now when, when it's still kind of in its infancy. James, we seem to, we seem to have uh, an ear with, with Major League Pickleball in terms of, of rule changes and whatnot and, and experimenting. What, uh, what else you got? I have plenty uh, to add to the list of, of rule changes. Well, I mean, you're, you're much more um, on the ground in all, all things pickleball than I am, but I would say um i like the i like rally scoring there's an idea i well i'm not going to say that i had for a dream breaker but i was i was talked to about it by the dawson's i know you know the dawson's um and steve dawson had a great idea i think for the way to change um the dream breaker 
and I'm actually going to, uh, I've been lazy the last couple of days before I've sent out, I want to send out an email to Steve and, uh, and propose it, but a way to incorporate the fact that you played a whole match in doubles and then you switch to the dream breaker and it's all singles. So a way to maybe make the dream breaker, both doubles and singles. So singles is still important, but you're also incorporating doubles and you can have sort of best versus best at the end, which is what everyone wants to see in a dream breaker instead of, possibly um your number one pick man against your number four, your number two pick woman to finish out the match and singles so um i think it, it could be really interesting of a way of doing basically still keeping it four points at a time but it's when it gets up to four and then when it gets up to eight when it gets up to 12 and you you have five um five formats so you've got gender doubles gender doubles mixed doubles uh gender singles and gender singles and they're each against each other but the home team gets to pick the order at the end. So let's say one team gets to 16 and you've got Ben Johns and you want to finish with Ben Johns. You're down 16, 11. Now you're going to 21, but he's got the chance to come all the way back and make it, you know, and get back to 21, 16, or, you know, you get, and you've got your best versus best, um, you know, your number one player, but you can only play in two of them. So you got Ben Johns. If you have him play singles. You can't have him play mixed doubles. Um, so your other player has to play mixed doubles. So I, I, the way Steve explained that to me and it made a lot of sense and I feel like that would be really exciting, um, and interesting. So I, I would love to see it sort of in beta and test it and however they want to do that. Cause obviously it's still, um, so new and I know people love the dream breaker. It is so cool the way, the way, it, uh, the way it plays out in the drama. But I think if you still have the, the, um, you know, the doubles teams playing and make it so that it's better for, um, for the fans to see really the best players um, and at their, you know, at their kind of best venues, you know, you take, um, you know, you take a singles player and you pay, play him at singles. And then the other one has to be focused on the mixed doubles. Interesting. I hadn't thought of that before. I thought you were going to talk about uh, your teammate, Joe Saslow's idea. <laughs> what the, was for the idea? Saslow super dream breaker, the very first okay. person of the home team, they only play yeah. two points, but everybody else okay. plays four, 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 four for the, so for the, the rest. Yep. So you get yeah. the Mac mix. I like um, that too. And I mean, I like the, I like changing things up like that and, and trying it. I, I, I think that would be interesting too. Um, because then you, you don't have just four, uh, you know, it's the same, same person playing the same person each time. And, um, and you get um, an adaptation just two points in, you know, so you don't get the, you get told, you're always kind of adjusting. I thought, I mean, I, I know, uh, you, you were very, uh, I'm sure unimpressed by, by my play when I was playing in the, the owner thing with Joe Saslow, but, um, I, I just, all I wanted to was, see James was a one-handed backhand. That's the only thing I was disappointed about. Uh, yeah, I didn't see too many of those, but, uh, but it is interesting to see like how you change to go play in singles and depending on who you're playing, um, how safe you play? Do you play your normal? Because it's only it's so short with four points. With two points against each person, it's going to be even more different. So it's going to be so much of that um, adjusting on the fly. And what do you do? Do you play your game specifically the same way you always play? Do you adjust for who you're playing against? And so uh, it is really interesting and it's exciting. And it's why the Dream Breakers are so fun and um, and entertaining. Yeah. Do you worry that any of this is gimmicky? Meaning, like, I look at the comparative tour in tennis, the, the world mm. tennis tour. And mm. when I was, that's the correct name, WTT, right? That's the world or, team tennis. Yeah. World team tennis. It, sorry. Yeah. North. I, growing up, like, kind of thought it was a little gimmicky, a little bit weird. Mm. Do we think that there's risk of Major League Pickleball formats being the, the WTT of pickleball, essentially? So WTT, when it was formed, was really high, high level. The top players played it. And I think what happened to that to make it um, sort of lose a little bit of the luster was that they condensed it to three weeks in the middle of the summer. Um, and the tours got so strong that the you can't miss out on the prize money. You can't miss out on the points in the middle of the summer. So the top players then stop playing When we don't have top players. Then the next step is make it gimmicky. I don't think MLP has to ever go that way 
because we have the top players and because the, the schedule, in my opinion, is so much better where you've got six events throughout the year, but it's just a weekend at a time. It's not taking three weeks, four weeks, five weeks in the middle of the, an important time of the year where you're completely avoiding playing any actual tour events. So it's just um, throughout the year, you can make that commitment to three weekends, six weekends, whatever you're going to do. Um, and then it's spread out throughout the year. So I don't think you need to be gimmicky because you've got the top players playing it. And that's the draw. The, the allure of it is top players playing for big prize money, playing for pride, playing for team. And I think the opposite is true is that how much players start caring about the teams. Some of my biggest moments in my career and the most fun and the most, you know, heartbreaking and also the most rewarding were playing Davis Cup. You know, I played college tennis as well. I played high school tennis, played Hopman Cup, um, any sort of team event when you feel like you're playing for something more than yourself. It's a little different in pickleball because most people, the, the top players play doubles. And so they do have that that team of two at least. Um, but in tennis, you're so isolated. You're thinking about the individual aspect of what you're doing um, that when you've got a team, it really feels special. And you've got people counting on you and you're counting on them. So I think people love seeing that about MLP. And as we get further into it, and if we have players that stay with one team for a long time, and you've got that, um, you know, the fans that really connect with them, and um, we've got the geographical connections as well, we start um, really exploring that more. I just think the way it's going to grow, there won't be the need for that for those gimmicks. So if we determine that this dream breaker, you know what, it's starting to get a little gimmicky, let's just go back to straight, you know, playing pickleball. We're playing pickleball at the absolute highest level um because we've got the highest level players that's the big draw and they're doing it as a team and you see the emotions i mean i haven't been to uh to ppa events i've seen some of them on uh on tv but i don't see quite that same fan interaction and emotion that i see at, at mlp and like i said I've, I've been in the stands there at mlp and watching the the trash talk the in the face attitude and it's pretty crazy. And I think that has a lot to do with that team camaraderie. Like, Hey, we're in this, we're in a dog fight together. Mm -hmm. So you know what? I'm giving it my all I'm in their face and we're in this because I've got three other players that have my back on this for this weekend at this time, or whether it's for this entire year, I've got these three players that have my back. And that's, I don't feel like that's a gimmick and I feel like it's going to continue uh, to grow. Do you feel so, it's gimmicky? Do you feel that the MLP is gimmicky? No, I've heard it as a complaint, though. Not the okay. not MLP, but the Dream Breaker in in particular. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. I love the I love the Dream Breaker. Um, yeah. The argument against it is that this is a double centric game. We've just spent yeah. the last hour and a half playing doubles, and we're going to decide it with a with something where guys can be playing against girls in a format that half these players don't even play normally. A lot of these players yeah. are never playing singles. Um, yeah. and that's the, that's, I think the argument against the dream breaker as it stands. So that's why I think it could be interesting to add in the doubles and have the five, um, varieties. And then, so like you said, a lot of players don't play singles, but you have to, you, you sort of, when you're drafting, you probably have to figure, okay, we need one player, one man and one woman that actually does play singles, um, because we're going to need them to play singles. And so you can't, you can't get to that are solely focused on doubles. Um, so that could be an interesting draft strategy as well, where as long as you got one, then you're set. You don't need to worry about it after that. Well, since we, since we did get onto the topic of the, the rowdiness at, uh, at MLP tournaments, mm -hmm. um, we love chatting about it. What are your thoughts coming from tennis, coming from a sport where you'll get shushed if you're talking in the middle of a point, you got to wait for the yeah. crowd to, to quiet down. What is your perspective on what pickleball should do? Just hands off, let them yell as much as they want, or make it more civil? Yeah, this has always been a tough question for a tennis or at least for me as a tennis player, because I love the rowdiness. I love the atmosphere when it's crazy. I love going to baseball games, basketball games, where there's shouting and screaming in the crowd at all times. The only problem I see with tennis is that we don't have the consistent um, 60,000 people, 20,000 people in the stadium, in the arena every single time, um, where baseball, it's constant noise. Basketball, it's constant noise. The distraction and the problem, uh, in my opinion, always lies in if you've got 
15 people watching a match and most of them are quiet and then one person yells as you're about to hit, that's distracting. That's where it can be a problem. But the constant noise, most of us tennis players practiced in an environment where there was you know, tennis going on on courts right next to you, maybe cars driving by, uh, maybe, you know, someone else training on the field or the track right next door. Like there's always stuff going on. So as long as it's constant, it's not a big deal. And with pickleball, I think they're running, in, they're probably running into the same problem. Not every match you guys play is in front of that MLP stadium court crowd. You might be on court four where there aren't that many people and then it is distracting. So how do you determine, well, there's enough crowd here so they can make constant noise and, it, and it's okay. And that's better for the fans and that's more fun. But if there's only say 20 people or less, we can't do that because you can't have someone having a cell phone conversation in the middle of your point. And that's the only thing you're hearing is, you know, what they're, what they're going over with their wife or what they're having for dinner. Like you don't need to hear that. And that can be distracting. So I think it's tough because I want to see it rowdy. I, I really do. I would love to see that. And I, w- I wish the crowd could be there all the time to get that constant noise and get the jeering and the cheering and everything going on. Um, but I just don't know if it's going to be possible. I think it, it may end up having to be more like tennis where it's quiet during the point, then get as rowdy as you want in between. Um, but during the point, I think it's tough because you don't have the same crowd all the time. Which would you like? Yeah. Would you like to play in front of craziness? That's an interesting perspective because I'd never heard it as I've, I've shared the same thought. It's only distracting when it's out of the blue. Right. Yeah. And, but I hadn't thought of it in terms of comparing it to a, a baseball or, or basketball stadium where there is that constant, right. Unless yeah. you're at like a, a, a Tampa Bay Rays game or something. <laughs> um, yeah. But uh, I've been personally to, lived in Tampa for a long time. <laughs> so, you know, you know uh, how it goes. Uh, very sparse. Yeah. You could you could probably be heckling the batter from the outfield at one of those games, but <laughs> yeah. um, I personally I like the rowdiness, and I mm-hmm. think even if there are some of those distracting moments, meaning like mm-hmm. if you're out there practicing tennis and somebody's horn is going off in the parking lot, right? Like mm-hmm. it's practice. You can probably get over it. You've you've dealt with that for years at this point, right? Mm-hmm. I think if we just came out and said, like, look, there's going to be some times where it's a pain, it's annoying, somebody's going to distract you, get over it, this is what we're, this is what we're doing for the future of this sport. Like, mm-hmm. if there's not an, a clear alternative I, I, or a clear other option, we just say this is the way that it's going to be, I think we'll all, I'll get over it. And I, I just do think that it's generally better for, for fan engagement to be able to to yell out and yeah i mean i just think about it like when the ball clips the net in the middle of a point and and everybody goes gets all riled up like (laughs) allow it i'm I'm okay with it but it is tough to control for for crowd size for sure yeah yeah so i like it too i i I wish there was a way I, i would love to see it be all the time people can yell and scream and shout um i just worry that that the the one heckler will have so much more of an effect on court four or, you know, like a Tampa Bay Rays game, as opposed to stadium court. If it's stadium court and there's one heckler, um, you know, I played plenty of Davis Cup matches away ties where there were hecklers, where there are people that were, you know, kind of getting in your face and saying things personal or, or, you know, trying to, you know, stomp their feet and do things. But um, when it's a big crowd like that, you can, you can, like you said, if there's a horn going off in practice, you can chalk that up. To like, it's going to happen. It's going to be part of this. Um, but when it's one person and there's only 10 people there and they're just keep going and going and going, you know, that's where the, the problem can be. Cause they can do it every time you're about to hit a shot, every time you're about to, um, you're about to return serve or something like that's, that's where it gets to be. Uh, it, c- it can be an issue, but if there's, if, if all the players are on board and say, look, it's, it's for the better. It is better for the, for the fans, you know, for them to not feel like they're shushed, not feel like they're, you know, very, you know, they're, you know, they're kind of in not a prison, but they're, they're just, they're only allowed to do certain things. They don't know what to do. I've, I've been to plenty of tennis matches um, since I've retired, like watching with friends and like, oh, when am I allowed to talk? Am I, shh, do I have to, what do I need? And they, cause they haven't watched much before. So they don't know the rules. And if you go to a baseball game, no one cares. You know, you go to a baseball game, it's, you know, you got someone yelling out for hot dogs. Yeah, I'll have one, I'll have popcorn, I'll have a beer. And you're, you're not, 
you're not worried about anything rules. If you could do that for pickleball, absolutely. I'd be on board because I think the, I, I think the crowd would like it better, but I just don't know if the players would be okay with that. Those kind of distractions. I'll get over it. Other guys, I can't speak <laughs> Love for them. <laughs> all right. You lead, yeah. You lead, lead the way, get all the other players on board and say, Hey, we're going to have baseball crowds and I, I would love it. I'll, I'll be the first one sitting front row with a beer and a popcorn. There we go. Uh, maybe heckling, maybe heckling you here and there or, or a few of my, uh, a few of the non mashers. There we go. Yeah. Let's get some paid hecklers out there to get it started. <laughs> the hype guys yeah. just weren't enough. We need some heckle guys. Yeah, definitely. They, they may be more effective. <laughs> All right. So I want to do, I want to do a quick segment. Rapid right. fire. So certain professional pickleball or tennis players have made good pro pickleball players. Certain yeah. professional tennis players have made bad pro pickleball players. <laughs> uh, on a scale of one to 10, how good are these tennis players going to be if they took pickleball seriously? Okay. Ready? Yeah. Rafa. Uh, eight. Novak. Uh, seven. Serena. Nine. Martina Navratilova. Ten. All right. Roger. <laughs> Ten. King Kyrgios. Oof. Eight. Uh, Carlos Alcaraz. Uh... Eight. Johnny Isner. Is there a negative? Can we go negative? <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, I mean, we'll just we'll just say a one. <laughs> Sam Query. Uh, seven. Okay. Coco Goff. Ooh, that's an interesting one. Crazy talent, but that forehand grip could be off. I'm giving I'm giving her an eight or a nine just on athleticism. Gotcha. So you got Query at a seven and Johnny's at a one. <laughs> yeah, uh, Sam would crush Isner. Isner 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 would get hit so many times if he tried to play at a high <laughs> level. I mean, he would he would come off with so many welts because he, he's I mean he's so big, so he's gonna take a lot up at the kitchen line. But as soon I mean anything even close to high is hitting him in the chest. <laughs> <laughs> love it and the uh, Thomas is, is exactly there well he can just reach that's the nice part yeah true true he can reach a lot fair all right anybody from that list that you think would make make a phenomenal pro pickleball player on or outside that list um well I mean Martina's not, you know doesn't not in the inner prime anymore um if she was if she had just retired from tennis, which actually she didn't do until she was about 50, I think she still was playing. She played mixed doubles um, at the U.S. Open. So if she was still in her 40s, I think she would be unbelievable. Um, Serena, if she took it seriously, I mean, we'll see after she has her second baby, um, I think would be incredible. Um, Roger, if he had the time or felt like it, uh, aside from having four kids, probably doesn't have a whole lot of time, but uh, his hands and everything would be uh, amazing. Um, McEnroe, similarly, if it had been 20 or 30 years ago. Um, yeah, there'd be some good ones. And Jack's going to Jack's gonna start playing. Jack Sock, I think, will start playing. and He's going to be phenomenal. His doubles uh, skills are uh, amazing. He moves so well the first couple steps. His hands are a joke. The Bryans, of course, would be great. Uh, I know Bob and Mike, uh, I've, I've tried to tell them to get into it, and they, they never really have. Um, but if they did and took it seriously, they're both, I mean, they're not as tall as Isner. They're both pretty tall, six, four, six, five. Um, so they can reach everything. Their hands are incredible. Obviously doubles instincts are amazing. So I think they'd be, uh, and their, their work ethic is, is kind of second to none as well. So they'd be, they'd be amazing. Gotcha. I've got somebody, I've got side, one the person. Women's side, I want, I want, I want Bethany Maddox Sands to try it. I think she's mm -hmm. uh, getting towards the end of her tennis career. Um, I don't know when, I mean, that might be a year from now, two years from now, but whenever she does, I think she could be a great doubles player too. I mean, a great uh, pickleball player. Yeah. seems like the Americans get into it a decent chunk of them when they're done. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't blame them. It's great. It's fun. I want Maxine Cressy. 
That's Ooh. my guy. He could be good. I mean, you take away his biggest weapon, of course, is serve. Um, but he does have that nasty slice getting in. He could, you know, getting in and covering that net. Yeah, he's the right size, I think, too, would take over, like, kind of probably about Diaskew's size um, in terms mm-hmm. of covering that net and great footwork, too. So he could be pretty, uh, pretty darn good. Back in the day, Super. a guy that I used to play against, Max Mirny, would probably be similarly mm. kind of filthy up at net. About six five, moved great, really good hands. There's a few, there's a few guys that could could be pretty good. Yeah, that'd be interesting. So, so what do you think are the main things that do like predict somebody's success in the in the the transfer from tennis to pickleball? Like, you can't always tell just by yeah. just by looking at somebody like is this person going to be able to pick it up quickly or are yeah. they going to not, not learn it? I mean, certain guys like, like Sherry picked up singles really well. Ryan Sherry picked up yeah. singles and played tennis yeah. at, at Florida and hasn't really got the doubles game um, yeah. quite yet. Yeah. I think um, part of it is that those doubles instincts, that's why I think Jack would be so good. I think the Bryans would be so good. Um, that's why I put Novak at a seven instead of obviously he's, he's already, you know, probably distanced himself as the greatest tennis player of all time, but he plays at the baseline so much. He's not as comfortable moving forward and he doesn't play a lot of doubles. Rafa has played a lot more doubles and has really improved his net game. So I think that's important too. Um, so I think getting up to net and feeling comfortable around the net and the way you move up there, which is why Jack is so good, I think, and Jack can be so good. And then when it comes to really translating to it, it's, it then becomes about how much you're willing to learn. Um, because I think some tennis players, myself included, are extremely stubborn. And, well, this is what worked for me in tennis. This is what I did playing. This is how I played tennis. So I'm going to hit my volley with a slice grip, and I'm going you know, to come under it. That's just the way I volleyed in tennis, and that's the way Edberg did it. So I was taught that way. Instead of, you know, you need to start rolling it. You need to come over it more. You need to do something that's totally different and counterintuitive to your tennis instincts. And then you still have the, the same hands. You've got those skills. It's just a matter of using them differently. Um, so I think the players that are okay with learning and still being kind of starting at the bottom and getting better, um, I think that makes a big difference. And that's tough to tell. You don't know who's going to do that and who's, who's going to put in that time to really, um, to really master the nuances of the sport. Because I think most tennis players, when they come in, they can rip. You know, you can hit a good drive. You can hit hard. You've got good hands. So when someone rips it at you, you can, you can handle that. It's more about those other plays where you're dinking, where you're in, where you're being patient, where you have to set the point up, where you have to know the right spot to be, where you have to move to the right place. And, you know, you're learning the differences in mixed doubles and men's doubles. How much of the court do you need to take over? How much do you need to, to back up? When do you need to stay in the midcourt to play defense? And when do you need to go all the way back? And, you know, all those things that tennis players don't think of naturally, um, you have to actually spend the time to do that, um, which some tennis players are probably, I don't know, arrogant or egotistical and saying, no, I don't need to, I don't need to do that. Cause you're going to beat your normal. You're going to go out just with your tennis skills and beat a four or five player some of the time, just because you've got better hands than them because your footwork is better than them. Um, but until you really commit to it, you're not going to sniff a chance at any of the top players, any of the pros. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I noticed the guys that uh, that don't take it fully seriously, and like when you're in a dink rally at the net, they're just kind of standing there and and reaching and not like actually getting into position and carving a slice back, but rather just sort of sticking the paddle out and flicking the wrist a little bit. Those people don't seem to to put in all all the time the the work or or maybe just yeah. the the mental effort to take it seriously, and as a result, don't seem to don't seem to progress as well. But I, I do think there's there's something to the, just the quick hands and the instincts from playing doubles seems to be the most yeah. important thing. And ground stroke wise, it seems like the people with the really long windy strokes have yeah. a little bit harder time than the people with real compact strokes like, like Jack. Yeah, yeah. And I think that makes a difference. Like Jack did have like pretty loopy forehand, like very loopy forehand. But when you look at the forehand, the biggest, the thing that made his forehand most effective was that whip, the, his, his, uh, his wrist snap. And so mm-hmm. on the pickleball court, he can shorten that swing and use that wrist snap. And still, like I said, you, you have to change some of those things. And for me, I remember changing, like you have to change the way, like you said, when you're moving for the dinks and when you're getting downloads, 
I felt like my legs were killing me the first few times I did a bunch of like dink battles. And I started talking to um, like Steve and Callan Dawson. And I was watching the way they were doing it. And the way they're so much more efficient with the way they do it, because I was always taught as a tennis player, you get down below the level of the ball and you get, you know, your, your, your legs are burning. You do those as a drill to burn your legs. And in pickleball, you can get away with, if you just move to the right spot, and then you put the paddle down and it's more, you're not bending as much with the, with like at your knees. So it's okay. Wait a minute. Since you're going to do this, I don't know, 500 times in a day, you have to do it a little bit more efficiently. And so there's different ways to do it and think about it. And um, those are just fun things. Like for me, that's why it's fun is I, I keep learning new things and I keep getting better because I'm learning. And um, that's, uh, there's no reason not to enjoy that about anything, whether it's picking up surfing or soccer or tennis or pickleball, it's, it's fun learning new uh, new skills. Gotcha, Tommy. What, Tommy, what else do you have? I've got one or two more things. Yeah, I would. I would ask. Um, so, like one, my one last question. We, I think the answer we were kind of just touching on. But if I'm going to speak for the the Twitter trolls here, the yep. the anti pickleball tennis loyalists, yep. I would say that pickleball itself is a gimmick, not just the dream breaker. Oh, okay, right. Especially because, as Zane alluded to, you can be on the tail end of your tennis career or you can be retired and come over into pickleball and actually be pretty successful. To me, that is to the detriment of the validity of pickleball and it being a real sport. So thinking of that as like a, a point of criticism, like pickleball is easy. And if you're good at tennis, you're going to be good at pickleball. What's kind of your your answer to that? Um, you know, because the, the people in your... Yeah in your Twitter mentions are, are saying pickleball is just a joke. Yeah. And the, the funny thing is like, they say that as a negative, like, Oh, well, you're, if you're good at tennis, you're going to be good at pickleball. So why is that a bad thing? I'm also good at ping pong because I'm good at tennis too. I'm also good at racquetball and squash. And I mean, I'm realistically, I'm also pretty good at hitting a baseball just because I hit a ball for a living for a really long time. So you hone in on that hand eye. And so doing other things um, is fun. There's a reason a lot of hockey players are really good at golf. You know, they're used to hitting a slap shot and now they go into golf and they hit it a mile and they learn to control it because they're using their wrists. They're using their, uh, the, the ground to get force, to get, you know, those kind of things. So what's the, pro I, I don't, I, I get the, the criticism, but to me, that's a positive, like, okay, I, I can still do something that I'm good at because I've used these skills all my life and, now I'm going to have to change them a little bit, but I've got some similarities and that's fun to me. And the difference is why I think it's, it's possible to go from tennis to pickleball and still be successful is the fitness aspect is a lot of times. I mean, I'll speak for myself. When I retired from tennis, my body was breaking down. I couldn't go and practice the way I could and my knee, my shoulder were, there were, there were problems. So I couldn't do it. And um, pickleball, I can still play. And that's also the reason I, uh, I, I don't ever see myself really pursuing a pro pickleball career. And I mean, partly because I'm probably not talented enough, but partly because I wouldn't, I couldn't do that to my body because I know I would have to really train and get back into it. And I think my knee would break down. I think my back would probably give me problems. And um, so I wouldn't be able to do it. But if you're still able to do, to do that and play pickleball, which is covering a much smaller court, which is more focused on doubles. It's to me, it's similar to saying like, if you're, if you're saying that, then I think you could also say that, tennis doubles is a gimmick because a lot of very good singles players then go on to have great doubles careers at the end of their career and play that because it's it's easier on the body it's not as much wear and tear and you're able to handle um that many tournaments that many events and doubles that you wouldn't be able to do in singles so you see that a lot and so it's and it's different skills i mean to me that's almost the same thing it's a different it's a slightly different skill set but you're losing, you're using a lot of the same things that you use, but you have to use more hands. You have to be able to communicate with your partner. Well, you have to be able to move and be in the right spots. You can't just blast through someone the way you can in singles sometimes, or have a huge serve and get a, you know, get a ton of free points off that you have to have different skills. So it's just a different way of doing it. And I think that's a positive. That's great. Like, why wouldn't you want to do something else if you're good? I mean, most of us, I think as humans, you, you like doing things that you're good at. So you're already good at tennis. Now you translate that to something else you're good at. Okay. So now you got a new, a new arena to do something that's fun and that you're good at. Oh. 
seems good enough to me, Thomas. I don't know what you have to say. You asked the question. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, but I mean, no, I'm sure good. people have that good. criticism. I like I like the um, I like the comparison of of uh, pickleball doubles to tennis doubles, and going yeah. from a successful singles tennis career to uh, at the tail end, like a, a successful doubles career. Yeah. Um, but uh, no, Zane, I was uh, I was waiting for you. You said you had two more uh, two more questions. <laughs> Yeah, we have the uh, – so, James, if you've listened to the podcast before, you know that I have a little bit of a potty mouth, and I've been uh, Yes, I've been you did, you restraining. Did, uh, no swear jar today. Nothing, right? Nobody's sworn yet. Nobody's yeah. sworn. We didn't, we didn't go through the rules. But we do have some Stop Alzheimer's Now questions. Okay. Um, the first of which is from our boy – Dink McDinkmaster, who is guy. a great contributor to the to the podcast, right. says rank the top three owners in terms of pickleball skills. Which top three owners. Dink, okay. Mr. Mr. McDinkmaster, James just won the owners tournament. So I mean, like <laughs> he's clearly number one. Although I do have a take here. I okay. think that Joey Saslow is the Scotty Pippen to your Michael Jordan. I don't know if James great. has the same success without Joey Saslow. <laughs> uh, I agree. And Whaley. Whaley was awesome, too. Um, Whaley, so, Stacy, You had the great yeah. supporting cast. You, who's the yeah. Rodman of that squad? Was it Whaley? <laughs> Whaley no, definitely not <laughs> Whaley. Whaley is as dude, as chill as someone can be. So he was not the Rodman. So that leaves Stacy. Yeah, it's got to be Stacy, I guess. Um, but it was uh, – so the top three – so I think the top three draft picks were myself, Delic, and uh, Brian Levine. Um, I think that those were probably – I didn't get a chance to see Delic play very much, um, but my guess would be he was he was up there as well. And Brian, I know, takes it very seriously. Um, so those are probably, if I had to guess, the top three. But although not in the event, um, but a very good player is Drew Brees. Um, mm. He didn't play, mm-hmm. but he's uh, – I played with him in San Diego, and he's he's pretty darn good. He played – he played tennis growing up as a kid as well. Um, so he has, he's got a background. He, he rips it. Not as big on the dinking, but he can, he can still rip it. Love it. And very um, competitive. Eh, I believe that. Okay. Yeah. The next question, by the way, over at Major League Pickball, we raised over 5000 bucks for Stop Alzheimer's Now questions. Or for awesome. Stop Alzheimer's Now. Um, I don't know if everybody wants their, their donations disclosed or not. I will say that we do have a question from Zane Navratil, who had to donate $1,000, and he asked, <laughs> why would I ever bet on Jesse Irvine to win a cash game over Adam Stone? Which is a great <laughs> question, Zane. Uh, I'll be asking that one for a little while, but I figure while I have you, James, I might ask a real yeah. question. Um, yeah. Which professional pickleball player would make the worst professional tennis player. <laughs> worst professional tennis player. So let's see. Um, or not even I mean, professional, I, I, just which who makes the worst tennis player. So I'm going to have to go with someone who's actually a friend of mine. But the reasoning is because he absolutely never played tennis. And that's Callan Dawson. He, mm. um, and I think most people have played some level of tennis, whether it be at the exceptionally high level that you played at, or um, a much lower level, you know, like high school or something where they played and then they switched, um, switched to pickleball and, and um, focused more on that. But he's the only one I know of, and I know my knowledge is somewhat limited, um, but he's the only one I know of that has zero um, tennis background at all. I, I, although I did hear that Hayden, um, uh, Patrick Quinn also had no tennis background at, at all either, but his backhand looks a lot more similar to like a tennis backhand so i think Mm -hmm. he might and he's he's younger so he could maybe you know translate it a little quicker than than callan would would try to pick up tennis yeah so do you think callan would hold the tennis racket at the throat (laughs) that would be very interesting (laughs) the funny thing is his dad is a tennis coach and was a tennis coach and it's so good so you would think he'd be able to he'd be able to whip him into shape and get him uh get him some sort of tennis skills but I think it's just so far uh, removed for Callum that he's been so entrenched in the pickleball that it'd be tough for him to pick it up. And it would be a little foreign for him to be holding it way at the bottom and actually, you know, have a 27 inch racket and maybe not know, not really know what to do with it. (laughs) 
I would pay some money to watch Callan Dawson hold a tennis racket at the throat and <laughs> hit some backhand half volleys. <laughs> yeah, try to volley his off half volley and would be it at his feet. Yeah, his half volley would be nasty though. Come on, it would be nasty, uh, and his lob would still probably be incredible. The <laughs> lob volley would still be amazing. Yeah, yeah. Um. Oh, James, uh, we almost forgot the last question. Are you Riley Newman's new? Doubles partner? <laughs> hey, if you would have me, then I would go back to training, I think, maybe. And I, I would I would seriously consider playing because that guy is so incredibly talented. Uh, that back end is sweet. So I would, I would love to play uh, play with him sometime. I, I feel like it's it's a little unfair that Tim Parks got to play a pro event with, with Riley Newman. And I, I still actually, that was probably one of the last times I was running. I was listening to you guys talk about that, I think, with Tim and – I was like, wait a minute, this this doesn't seem right. How how did how did Tim get in that role? Um, but for the I mean, low low I, price I, of ten thousand dollars. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I guess that's that's the the, the real answer. But um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I would love to see. I'm, I'm excited to see who it's going to be. Um, but man, he's he's really talented. So I would love to play with him someday. And if that doesn't happen in a pro event, maybe one of these times at MLP after a, after a match, I'll get to hit some with them or, or play a, play a few points or something. There you go. Yeah. All right, cool. That's all I had. Unless there's anything else right. from you, Tommy. No, I, I think we can, we can wrap it there. If, uh, if you see any more uh, Twitter trolls, you just point them to this episode. I will. I'll definitely, that, that'll go. be my standard answer. Just listen to, listen to Zane and Thomas and, and then don't, don't talk to me until you've heard the whole thing. I like it. <laughs> Cool. Thanks, thanks a lot, uh, James. Thanks for thanks for popping on and 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 chatting. I, I have to say, I was a huge fan growing up and and watching, you. and uh, and it's pretty cool to to be able to to talk to somebody like you about about this and now sharing the same uh, sharing the same passion for pickball. So really appreciate yeah. your time and everything that you're doing for, for the sport. I hope that Our this uh, wins over a lot of a lot of tennis players. Um, who knows whether or not it will tennis players. I know from experience are stubborn people. So (laughs) yeah, myself included, but I, uh, I appreciate it. Thanks guys. Um, I'm a little disappointed. We didn't uh, contribute to the swear jar. I thought Zane was going to be, was going to be popping off, but, uh, glad we can still raise some money for stop Alzheimer's. I'm just broke now, James. <laughs> <laughs> Got it. And whatever it takes to get to clean up the mouth. That's good. <laughs> All right. Thanks, James. Thanks, Thanks guys. James. Yeah. I'm not gonna lie, Dyler had fun on Yagi.